I need to deal with that in a serious way. That's nothing to be toyed with. It's not trivial. I need to deal with it seriously and severely even. It's plucking out your eye and cutting off your hand. We don't tolerate, I don't need to tolerate things in me that are causing me to stumble or causing someone else to stumble. Today we want to look at what about when, what, how do we deal with that actually in our relationships with one another? What do we do when there's sin in our midst? Starting in verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. So you see, this is about as step-by-step as anything you're going to see in the Bible. What Jesus says is if there's an offense between you and this is within the church, this is family of God stuff, brother or sister. So if there's an offense between you and a fellow Christian, here's how you handle it. So we'll just use an example. So J.D., Let's say I hurt J.D.'s feelings. He comes to me for prayer, and he says he has chronic halitosis. And so we're praying about that. And then he says, I don't want you to tell anybody because it's embarrassing. And I'm thinking, they probably already know, but this is what, but I tell. And he finds out, Brandon comes to him, and Brian comes to him, and they say, hey, J.D., we heard about your problem. Here's some Altoids, or here's something that works for me, or whatever they do. And, they go, and then he, he says, how did you know? And they say, well, David told us. And so he's supposed to, I've sinned against him. I've broken trust. People all the time tell me things that they say, don't tell anyone. And, I'm not, and he comes to me and he says, you, he's supposed to come to me and say, hey, you gossiped about me. I told you something in confidence and you told Brandon and you told Brian. You can't, that hurt. It, it's caused a rift between us and that's the threshold. When you're talking about going to somebody, it's, it, has this damaged your relationship? Has it caused you either to push them away or has it caused you to take a step back from them? This is not permission for folks. Some of you are hypercritical. This is not permission for you to tell somebody everything that they've ever done wrong. This is, is, is our relationship in jeopardy. Has, has this damaged what we're doing here? If the answer is yes, then you have a, JD, if the answer is yes, has a responsibility to come and tell me. Now, in Galatians 6.1, it says, Brothers, if, you, if someone among you stumbles, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. That's a different category. We don't have time to talk about that today. There are instances where God, where you may be in a position where you need to call somebody out, and it's not because of anything that's happened to you relationally. It's because you see something in them. You see some level of sin in their life, and you have a responsibility to say something to them. I can probably count on two hands the number of times I've had to do that in my life. It's, it's rare that that type of thing is going to happen. And if that, but if, if you're feeling that, if there's someone in your life and you see them making a, a pretty big mistake, you see the train's gotten off the track, and you're feeling, I need to say something, my encouragement to you just quickly is, one, you need to pray. You need to make sure, God, am I being judgmental? Do you want me to actually 
And the answer is no, this is actually a real issue. Do you want me to pray about this or do you want me to say something to them? Are you bringing this to my attention just so I can pray? Or are you bringing this to my attention because I need to say something? And if the answer is I need you to say something, then what I would encourage you to do is say, God, if you want me to say something, you've got to give me an opportunity. I use that for me, that's a check, to make sure I'm not just imposing my will on somebody else or my judgments on somebody else or my opinions on somebody else. I say, God, if this is a conversation that you want me to have, then you need to create an opportunity for me to do that. And I'll say it, but I'm not going to say it until you give me a chance. And we don't have time to spend on that this morning. What we're looking at specifically this morning is between us. So I've broken, I've damaged JD and my, I've damaged our relationship. I've broken trust. I've gossiped about him. He's supposed to come to me. And the hope is that we have a strong enough relationship that him coming to me, I'm going to say, I'm so sorry. I did. I, I did do that. I told Brian, I told Brandon, it was wrong. Um, will you forgive me? That's the way it's supposed to go. The point of this is reconciliation. It's not for JD to be right and for me to be wrong. It's not for him to put me in my place. It's not for him to punish me. It's not for him to prove anything. It's just so we can be reconciled to one another. But let's say, I say, they're lying. I didn't say anything to anybody. Then according to Jesus, what JD's supposed to do is he's supposed to bring a witness. Deuteronomy 19.15 says, let everything be confirmed by two or three witnesses. The idea is, if if you read the Old Testament, there's some significant penalties for breaking the law. And if you're going to impose those penalties, you want to make sure that the person's done what you're accusing them of doing. And so you need multiple eyewitnesses to confirm that. And so what would make sense for J.D. is to bring Brandon because Brandon's one of the guys I told. So J.D. and Brandon come to me, and, he sa- and Brandon says, you told me this, remember? You said this about him. And, and hopefully in that moment, that does convict me, and I say, you know, you're right, I just didn't want to admit it to JD because I feel bad, or I forgot I told you, or whatever, but the hope is that bringing the friend as someone else who's confirming, hey, this actually happened, that's going to push me towards repentance and reconciliation. Now, there could also be a case where JD may come to me and say, hey, you said this, and I said, yeah, I did, and it's not a big deal, get over it. It's not, well, I don't know why you're so upset. This is, you're being a baby. Then what he may want to do is bring a friend, again, let's say he brings Brandon, to say, this is, a, this is a legitimate issue here. You're blowing this off. You can't break people's confidences. You can't gossip about folks. And JD comes to me, and I admit to what I did. I just don't think it's a big deal. He brings someone else to confirm, hey, this is a real thing that you did, and you need to repent of that. And hopefully, again, that moves me in the direction of repentance. If it doesn't, then the next step is the church. Now, for us, that doesn't mean you come up here and you get a microphone and you get to call somebody out. We're not doing that. That's TV. That's daytime TV, and that's not what we're doing here. What that would look like, I would say, in our church, is you get grab one of our ministry elders. So they, so JD grabs Tyler. He knows I'm friends with Tyler. Tyler's a ministry elder. It didn't work with Brandon, and so he gets the church involved. And J.D. and Brandon and Tyler come back, and they say, hey, this is a real thing, and you need to straighten up. You call me. Obviously, J.D. can't call me because I'm the problem, but you call me, and I get involved. We have ministry elders, and it's what, that's part of what they do. One of their responsibilities is to help navigate people through conflict in the body. So if this is an issue between two people at Stonebridge, you need to let me know, and we can get somebody to meet with you guys. Again, the point 
is reconciliation. What we're looking for, when you bring somebody along, you want water and not gas. You don't want somebody who's going to inflame the situation, and you can't bring your biggest fan. You know, if JD comes to me and he brings Liz, who's his wife, I'm already defensive. Like, that doesn't work. She's not going to be objective. I'm going to say, well, of course you believe him, or of course you're taking his side. You're his wife. You're supposed to. So he needs to bring someone like a Brandon or a Tyler who I think is going to be objective in the situation. So that's a very, that's a step-by-step way of dealing with offense. And so one of the questions for you this morning is, who has offended you? Is there someone who you've either taken a step back from or who you've pushed away because they've hurt you in some ways? And recognize what's going on here is this is real. This is not a legal proceeding. This is a spiritual reality. All these things Jesus says, he says, what you bind on earth is bound in heaven and loose on earth is loose in heaven. What he's saying is, if you operating as the church, if, you, if, y'all, if, if they decided, hey, you're not repenting of this, then I'm being held to that. God's in the middle of that because two of three of them have gathered and they've agreed. You're not repenting. You're not recognizing the serious of this, seriousness of this. You're not reconciling to JD. We're holding that against you. And so God's holding that against me. Or if they say you've, you, you have repented and you're pursuing reconciliation and you're freed from that, then God is freeing me from that because he's in the middle of all of this stuff. That's what those last three verses that we read are talking about. They're saying this is, again, this is real. The, the, the God is in the middle of these going, of the goings-on here. That's not a word. Goings-on? Going-ons? It's goings-on. It is. Yes, I'm moving on. So if you look, you, we see this in 1 Corinthians. There's this heinous picture in 1 Corinthians where a guy's sleeping with his father's wife, not his mom, but his father's wife. And Paul's going, You're, what are y'all doing? How in the world are you allowing this to continue? Kick the guy out. He actually says, turn him over to Satan. That's the consequence. We read this. If I'm unwilling to repent, you're supposed to disassociate with me. Now, when they said that, it was much more significant than it is for us. There's one church in these towns meeting in multiple houses. So to be kicked out is to literally be kicked out of the church. For us, if somebody were to get removed, they just go to a church down the street. They're not going to feel it as much. But the, the truth there is still the same. We're to disassociate. So, J.D., if, if I'm unwilling to repent and reconcile, then he's got to say, listen, I can't trust you anymore. I, I'm not... I'm not sharing with you. You're not trustworthy for me. He's disassociating himself from me in that way. I think in the six years that we've been here, there have only been two people I've said, you can't come. And it wasn't like they they were happy for me to say, you can't come. It's very rare that we're actually going to have to remove somebody from church. But that's the consequence. And again, it's a real thing. God's in the midst of that if we're following his word. And then if you read 2 Corinthians 2, this person who Paul says kick out, he says he's repented, so let's bring him back in. The point of all of this is always restoration and and reconciliation. So is there someone who you need to go to this week? Somebody after the first service said he took an executive management class or something, and they said when you have to confront somebody, kind of your lead, how do you lead with that? He said, we're entering the zone of uncomfortable communication. So... If, that, if that's your lead, then that's your lead. And then, you, and then you share what you need to share. And you do it in a way that says, I'm not trying to be right. I'm not trying to get back at you. I'm not trying to put you in your place. I'm not even trying to point out your fault. I'm just saying, this happened. 
in its broken relationship, and I want us to make it right. Second thing, what do you do when the person repents? Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother who sins against me? Up to seven? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven, but 77. So Peter gets it. He says, okay, so JD comes to me, and I say, I'm sorry, I've done this, I'm repenting. Then what's JD's response? He forgives me. And Peter says, how many times does that have to happen? Does JD, how many times does he have to forgive me for blabbing about him? There's an old rabbinic way of thinking. You forgive the sin three times, but on the fourth time, you don't have to forgive him anymore. And so Peter's going beyond that and saying seven, and Jesus says, actually, not even close. Seventy-seven, which means every time that I genuinely repent, JD has to forgive me. Now, we can have the theoretical conversation on have I genuinely repented if I continue to do the same thing. That's a different issue. What Jesus is focusing on is JD's responsibility as the one who's come to me. He's come to me, and he's brought this sin up. I've repented. His responsibility is then to forgive me. And then Jesus tells this parable to show how important forgiveness is. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me. And I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off, had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. They went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all this debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. So we have this parable, three main actors. We have a king. You've got two servants. So one servant incurs this massive amount of debt, 10,000 talents. So one talent of silver is 6,000 denarii. And a denarii is it's what a, a, a worker would get for a day's wage. So one talent is 6,000 days worth of work. 10,000 talents is 60 million days worth of work. That's 200,000 years. So for this guy to say, be patient and I'm going to pay you back, no, you're not ever going to pay him back, ever. There's no hope for you of ever paying this guy back what you owe. And so the master, because this guy asked for it, he gives him, he forgives the debt. And then this same servant goes out and finds someone who owes him money, 100 denarii, so what is that, three months about, 100 days, three, three months worth of work. And that guy says, Give me some time, I'll pay it back. And he actually has a shot. Like, you could do that. He could pay back three months' worth of debt over time, and he won't hear of it. He has him thrown in jail, which is his right. He has him thrown in jail, debtor's prison, because he can't pay. So the ratio there, this, this key servant, he owes 600,000 times more than he is owed. He is forgiven a debt 600,000 times greater than the one he will not forgive. And so what Jesus pulls from that is he says, you can't have it both ways. You're either a man of grace or you're a man of the law. 
but you can't be both. And that's what this guy was trying to do. When it came to what he owed, so we can see that as our vertical, when it comes to what he owes God, he's saying, be gracious to me. And then when the horizontal, when it comes to what you owe me, I'm going to, it's eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. And you can't do that. So here's the line, and you have to decide which side of the line you're going to live on. I can live on the side of grace over here and recognize that I've incurred a debt I'm never going to pay. I owe 60 million days worth of work to the Lord because of the sins I've committed. I don't have a shot to pay that off. So God, forgive me. I want to receive your grace. And he says, great, then you're going to live in the economy of grace, which means I have to extend grace to everyone who sins against me. As trivial or heinous as those sins, whatever they are, they don't even come close to comparing to what I've been forgiven of. If I'm going to say, God, forgive me, don't treat me, according to what my sins deserve. Don't do eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Don't be fair to me. Be merciful and gracious to me, then I've got to be willing to do the same towards you. However, I can choose to live over on this side. I can choose to be a man of the law and say what's fair is fair. You get what you deserve, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And so, Robert, you sinned against me, you got to pay. And what God's going to say is if you're making him pay, then I'm making you pay. Not because he's being mean or petty, but because I've made a choice to live over here. You can't, I can't straddle the fence. I'm an Old Testament man or I'm a New Testament man. I'm a man of the law or I'm a man of grace. I can't be both. And if I'm going to be a man of the law with y'all, then I'm going to be a man, then he's going to be a God of the law with me. And he's going to say, all right, then I'm going to treat you according to what you deserve. You're making them pay you back, then you got to be willing to pay me back. And that's a debt that none of us can pay. And so the question for us is, what side of, the, of that fence do you want to live on? It's difficult if you've been deeply wounded. If you've lived a pretty blessed life, you haven't experienced a lot of pain, it's very easy to stand over here because there's not anything really significant you're having to forgive. I think back and go, who am I really forgiving for anything? There's not much for me. If you're over here and you say, I let me give you my history here. There's some deep wounds over time for me. And to think that I've got to forgive this man or this woman for what they've done, it's very difficult for me. And you need to hear, and this is not me speaking, it's Jesus. Matthew 6, 14 and 15, at the end of the Lord's Prayer, he says this. If, if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If you don't forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive yours. He's saying... What, where are you going to live? If someone has hurt you deeply, that's a difficult thing to forgive. I'm going to encourage you. You need to. If you treat somebody according to what they deserve, if you hold their sins against them, then he's going to do the same for you. Not because he's angry with you. or It's because you've chosen to live in the economy of the law. And so that's how he's going to treat you. This is from Peacemakers. If you're interested in this, it's peacemakers.net, N-E-T. It's a great website. This is what these guys do, reconciliation work. If this is something that interests you or you need to dig deeper, I'd encourage you to look on their website. I'm going to read you this paragraph. This is what forgiveness is. Through forgiveness, God tears down the walls that our sins have built, and he opens the way for a renewed relationship with him. This is exactly what we must do if we are to forgive as the Lord forgives. We must release the person who has wronged us from the penalty of being separated from us. We must not hold wrongs against others, not think about the wrongs, and not punish others for them. 
Therefore, forgiveness may be described as a decision to make four promises. So listen to these four things. Forgiveness may be described as a decision to make four promises. One, I will not dwell on this incident. Two, I will not bring up this incident again and use it against you. That's marriage 101 right there. You can't keep score. I will not talk to others about this incident. I will not let this incident stand between us or hinder our relationship. I won't dwell on it. I won't bring it up and use it against you. I won't talk to other people about it, and I won't let it hinder our relationship. Those are, those are, that's big. Those are big things to say, I'm doing this for someone who's wronged me. Forgiveness is not easy, but it's standing in the, on the side of grace. And so we've got to begin to figure out what does that look like to forgive folks who've wounded us. Now, forgiving somebody doesn't necessarily mean you put yourself in a position for them to run you over again. We've got a four-year-old, and if we have somebody come babysit and they're letting them run through the house with a knife, we're not going to let them come babysit anymore. Now, I, I have a responsibility to do these things. can't hold that incident against, against them. I can't blab about it. I can't let it hinder my relationship with them personally. Those, I've got to do that, but that doesn't mean I have to let them come babysit again. And so don't hear me saying that, but there's a... It, Forgiveness is not just a mental thing that says, I forgive you. There's, some, it's, there's a deeper work there that says, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not holding this thing against you anymore. You're not in my debt anymore. We're level when it comes relationally. And so again, it, it, this morning, is there someone who you need to forgive? I would imagine for many of you, if it's something deep, you've, you've started down the road, there's probably just a little bit farther that you need to go. And so my encouragement to you is to ask the Lord, what does it look like for me to continue to walk in the process of forgiveness with this person who's hurt me? Last thing, and this is a bit more, um, this is general. I was thinking about this idea, reading this, and I was thinking about the relationships in our community, not necessarily the ones in this room, but I was really thinking within our community and what the, the assumptions that Jesus is making here about relationships versus the relationships that I feel like maybe many of us have or that our community in general kind of holds to. They're they're different. When I think about the fact that saying, cutting you off from me is somehow supposed to be a deterrent to you. Really? For most people, they're like, is that all? I just got to go find someplace else to go? That's not a deterrent at all. Our, Our relationships don't have this level of depth. They're more superficial and things for a couple of reasons. What you see here is confrontation brings sin to the surface. It exposes something that's in the dark and then forgiveness pushes it behind us. And so that's what this process is for reconciliation. Let's expose what's broken the relationship and then let's push it behind us so that we can move forward together. And when I think about many of the relationships within our community, I don't see that level of authenticity that says, let's deal with what's broken our relationship. Our relationships tend to, in my view, be more hypocritical. On the surface, everything seems okay. But inside, we don't like the people who we're around. Uh, Just about a month ago, someone from our church came to me, said, you hurt my feelings a year ago, and and I need to tell you. And he absolutely did the right thing. It was not fun for him to have to come into my office and say, here's what you did. But he needed to. It had put up a wall between us. I didn't even know it was there. And he did exactly what he was supposed to. He came to me and said, this is what you did, and this is how, I re- this is how it made me feel. Here's where you dropped the ball. 
and I was able to apologize and repent, and things are fine. But for how many of us that we never even deal with those kinds of things? And again, it causes us to be hypocrites. We're mask wearers. On the surface, we act like things are fine, but inside there's this distance between us. That's not an authentic relationship. It's hypocritical. There's a... Um, there's a, a grace component here that we see that says I'm going to not treat people based on either how they've treated me or I'm not going to treat people based on their past. I'm going to choose to extend grace to folks who've messed up relationally. In our community, there's, a, there's a, a, a willingness to cut people off pretty quick to say you, you blew it with me and we're done. Or sometimes it's not even you blew it with me. It's I heard that you blew it with somebody. And so I'm not even going to give you a chance. It's a law-based approach to friendships. And again, what that does is it creates shallow relationships versus deep ones. And when I think about this idea of something that has to change, that's something that I feel has to change in our community. There's got to be a change in, the, in our relational structure. There's got to be more depth to how we're choosing to connect with one another, both here and kind of more broadly in our community. It's interesting. Read John 17 sometime this week. The last prayer that Jesus prays, it's all about relationships. Out of everything that he could have prayed, he prayed about our relationships with one another. They're so important to him. And we kind of blow past that for the sake of productivity or efficiency and getting things done. And he's saying, this is the thing for me. I want you all to be one, like me and the Father are one. I'm going, there's, what? No, we're never going to be that. Most of us don't even want to be that. But that's what he's asking for, this, again, this incredible depth and richness in relationship, a willingness to expose things that have broken relationship and then to forgive and push those things behind so that we can continue to move forward together. So when I think of something that has to change, for me, that's something that I think has to change. There's a, we tend to relate to images and to projections and to posturing. And I think what Jesus would say to our community is, you guys got to move past that. This is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for people relating to each other based from a, this posture of grace that says, in this relationship, we're going to confront the things that pull us apart or that drive us apart, and then we're going to deal with them push them behind us so that we can move forward together. So here's my closing for you this morning. Who do you need to confront? It's not all of you. Many of you don't need to confront, but some of you do. Who do you need to confront? And who do you need to forgive? And will you make a decision this morning to do that, to confront and to forgive and to begin that work this week? Let's pray. God, easy for me to stand up here and say, confront and forgive. Difficult to begin to walk those things out. And so I pray for the men and women in this room who you're stirring their hearts. And they, as soon as I said it, as soon as I read that first verse, a name popped into their mind. And they've been trying to rationalize it out for the last 20 minutes. God, I pray for that person. And I pray for that one as soon as I said, forgive. And they're going, not him or not her. Lord, I pray for that man and that woman as well. God, I pray for your grace to obey your commandments. God, we want to stay in this, we want to stay right with you. And to do that, we've got to be willing to confront and to forgive. And so we're looking for grace 
to do that, that you would create opportunities for us to confront people who've hurt us. We're looking for steps. What does it look like to forgive this person? Some of these people, they might not even be alive anymore. What does it look like to forgive these people who who are not in our lives maybe? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to walk that out? And so we need you, Holy Spirit, to lead us into the truths of what those things are. So I pray as we take a few minutes in worship and prayer that you would speak and that you would reveal and that you would lead and that we would respond. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close with worship and ministry. We'll have ministry teams up in the front. We'll pray with you about anything at all that you've got going on. You've got chronic bad breath. We'll take care of you up here. Whatever you've got, we'll pray for. I would say if you've got, if there's someone who God's put in your heart to con, to confront or to forgive, I would strongly encourage you to come and let us pray for you about that. Just saying their name out loud, that can kind of help motivate you to actually do something about it. If you keep it to yourself, it'll be easy for you to kind of forget about during the week. So I'd encourage you to allow us to pray about that. So you guys can stand and then Bo will lead us in worship and dismiss us when we're done.